welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 193. I'm your host, Derek Moore, and back we, with me once again is my semi-permanent co-host, Jay Pestercelli. Jay is the CEO of Zega Financial. Jay, how are you doing today? Doing great, Derek. How are you? Thanks for having me on again, of course. Episode, yes. wait, 193? Man, that's great. That's correct. I, I look, it's another prime number. I had to Google that, right? The is oh prime function. It, <laughs> It's a prime number. I wasn't sure. I've, I've lose my prime numbers once we get to triple digits. But uh, glad to be back. Well, that's the reason you're never on and sort of a top. You know, oh, you did come on 190, but you, you're typically not on those. Uh, so, all right. Well, here's here's the interesting thing. You and I have been getting asked a lot of questions. Is do we need capitulation? Is this the bottom? What do bottoms look like? And other people must be asking that as well. Uh, there was somebody who put out a chart from Bloomberg where they actually chart searches on, or I'm sorry, this is media mentions, media mentions of the word capitulation versus S&P 500 price. And searches or media mentions, I should say, for capitulation are way high and going higher. And just on price alone, it's... Uh, you know, it, it's not there. By the way, media mentions for inflation seem to have topped out about a week ago. I don't know what that means. It may mean nothing. It's not something I follow. But, Jay, everyone's asking about capitulation. Really, more specifically, you know, you and I have discussed this idea of, first of all, we'll know when the bottom's in when it's in. A lot of people thought the bottom happened back in June or July. Well, it turns out we made a new low. But Jay, I know this is something that you've said in the past on this show specifically, markets tend to bottom before the economy. And by the economy, I mean things like payrolls and GDP. And it also bottoms before the trough, meaning the worst of earnings. So Jay, let's start there. And I think we've looked at some historical uh, you know, examples of this. So why don't you kind of take us off on this topic? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because I think it's important for people to remember the market is a forward-looking vehicle, right? Uh, and and but before we even jump into a little bit of the historical numbers, there, I I thought it might be helpful to define capitulation, right? I uh, I typed in define capitulation again. Look, the second reference to Google. We're gonna we're gonna help Google's search terms of Google after this podcast. Um, it, it is defined as a noun, which is says the action of surrendering or ceasing to resist an opponent or demand. So essentially, when we talk about capitulation, it's just when everybody gives up hope that the market will turn, and it turns out that is the most bullish sign you can get, right? It is the ultimate contrarian indicator uh, that you can get. It's, well, let's, and it's, let's uh, start there then. Let's let's begin right. with that, and we'll, we'll go, because I think that's a nice way of transitioning. So let's start there, Jay. All right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when, when I when I think about capitulation, like the signs in the past, I, I know well, I'll get to the historical kind of market being the uh, uh, forward looking vehicle in a minute. When you, in the past, there's been things like, you know, a humongous sell off in the market in the middle of a day and then an immediate reversal or the VIX, you know, crossing above 45.50, right? Like those are signs where, you know, the bears just take over, the bulls are done, they're done trying to buy a dip and they just, you know, they give up, right? And the most famous uh, caller of capitulation was Mark Haynes uh, at the bottom in 2009. He's a CNBC uh, uh, anchor. He's, uh, he's no longer with us, but anybody that knows what happened in 2009, uh, he called the bottom. There was a morning, the market was down I don't know, a thousand points, right? Dow was down a thousand points. And he said, this is it. I'm calling the bottom. And you know what it was? It wasn't so much the market. I don't know if you were watching that day, Derek, you and I have never talked. I was, about this, oh, I ingrained in my memory for sure. And I remember when he called it and he called it because there were nine guests on at once, right? He, they, had a, they had a nine box going on the screen, and he was just like, our producers are going nuts. This is ridiculous, everybody. I'm calling the bottom right now. And he nailed it, right? So I think that's, I mean, I'm sure capitulation has been around a lot longer than that, but he really did call that one. And ever since then, everybody looks for the day of capitulation. And you and I, 
um, with some of our you know volatility selling strategies, see capitulation uh, kind of there, right? You see it when there's big reversals midday um, after you know major spike in volatility and fear. So uh, everyone's asking, when are we going to have that? When are we going to have that? When are we going to have capitulation? And you know, uh, we haven't seen any signs of it yet. I mean, maybe early in January there were some major reversals. I think I remember late January there was a day where the market had a six percent turnaround, right? Got down and then rebounded really hard. People thought maybe that was it. We thought maybe uh, there was some time, maybe in July or June, right? Those lows, but never really, really did we get that signal. And I'm not sure if we're going to get it this time around, right? This is a little different. Uh, time, right? This is a, a, a market that doesn't have the support of the Fed. There is no Fed put in the market. Uh, they've essentially come out and said, we really don't care right now how bad the market goes down. Our our uh, focus is managing inflation. So I'm not sure if it'll come the way that it always does, but there might be some signals out there, right? Might be there's some signs out there that might reflect capitulation, Um you know, sorry, I'm going off on this, Derek, but if I have one that I can uh, mention, but is there anything that you'd want to hit on first before I kind of talk about one potential sign for capitulation? Just uh, to, to clarify to everyone who's an investor out there, Jay Powell does not care about you this time. I think that's He clear. doesn't. <laughs> it's, he doesn't. Well, he, he cares I'm, that you're spending too much money. That's what he cares about. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. What's the what's one of the things you've been looking at? Because I have a few, too, but I, I want to hear some of the things you see right now. Yeah. I mean, for as an options guy, right, we're always watching the options market. And there was kind of an obscure data point that uh, came out October 17th or actually maybe it was the 14th. Right. When it happened and there was some discussion about it on the 17th where there was more money going into put buying than call buying. Right. So that is clearly a bearish indicator. Right. Uh, right. Buying puts means you uh, have a, a, a bias for the market to go down and you'll be profitable versus buying calls. If the market goes up, you could be profitable. So long puts were uh, were outpacing the long call spent dollars by a ratio of three to one. And that, you know, that is a pretty bearish signal. I think everybody was uh, fearful. And but by the way. Uh, the market has pretty much gone up, uh, you know, through, uh, you know, almost to the end of October. That that was kind of the, the low of the year was right there. And it's been up since then. I know that, uh, you know, time is passing here. But, you know, maybe that was a quasi capitulation. Right. I told you I watched the VIX. We haven't seen that break above 40. Breaking above 40 um, can definitely be uh, a sign of capitulation. And then, Derek, I think you may even want to hit on uh, a little bit more. A complicated um, uh, metric, which is the volatility curve, right? So it's, I know that's something that you want quite a bit. I'm glad you brought up that up because I, it seems like when everyone's rushing for the exits is when people go out and buy, you know, the fire insurance. Like, oh, or, or we always say, you know, you live in Florida. Um, you know, this, this hurricane off the coast, maybe I'll call my insurance company and see if I should add some hurricane insurance. I mean, that, that's sort of what this is telling me that everyone got a little bit extra fearful and said, oh yeah, this is really going down. And that's the time they, they buy all this stuff. I think it's a great point to make. There's, there's some nuances with, you know, using dollars versus contracts and, and historical things, but a lot of people buying that might say, or people seeing that might say, oh, how come the VIX didn't go to 100 or 80? I mean, Jay, let's, let's just understand. I mean, the VIX at 30 or 32 is essentially pricing in the one standard deviation move every day is you're going to get moves of 2%. For anyone who doesn't know how significant that is, that's really big. Like it's already pricing in really big moves. So the idea that you have to have this massive shift upward in the VIX, I think, Jay, that's a great point to make. And that really tells me that the positioning of, this is retail traders, by the way, it's not institutions, retail traders. Now you mentioned the VIX curve, and that's really where I'll go next. There, there's this idea that uh, we have when, okay, so the VIX is a spot index and it's a cash index, the one you see on TV. And what that means is that it's like, okay, 30 days out, 
what is the the VIX indicating? It's the 30-day volatility. But there's also all of these futures weeklies and monthlies. And the VIX is a futures contract. That's really, there's no way to trade the, the spot VIX, the one you see on TV. The trading happens on the VIX futures and options on VIX futures. And by the way, options, there are no options on the cash index. And one of the things I saw was that, you know, I went back to March 1st of 2009. And what we saw then was the front month of VIX futures was, it was above 40, it was elevated. But the front month was greater than the second month, was greater than the third month, and so on and so forth. That's, that's an inverted VIX curve. And then by May 1st, which is after the Mark Haynes bottom you just referenced, the VIX curve had normalized where the front month was lower than the back month and so on and so forth. And Jay, it's really interesting you brought that up because I, you know, you and I, sometimes we discuss what we're going to talk about on the, on the broadcast, uh, but I don't know entirely what you've got. And I love that you brought that up because the VIX curve was inverted and then it uninverted right after that. And so, look, we don't know where the bottom is going to be, but Jay, I think the VIX curve inversion is also an interesting thing. And it's when it de-inverts or disinverts is sort of an Re interesting Reverts? <laughs> Maybe reverse yeah, is the know. right word. <laughs> it verts something. Yeah, so when it gets back to normal, right? So uh, uh, maybe said another way. Uh, here, let, let's use big, complicated words, right? We move back to, uh, you know, a contango situation in the futures versus backwardation. And all that means is the price of the farther out VIX uh, is higher uh, normally than the nearer term, right? People always think, hey, add more time, you have a more chance of a volatile move. But when it's backwards or inverted, like you're saying now, there's more volatility in the near term, right? People are more scared in the short term. People are buying... Uh, you know, putting more premium into options in the short term than they are in the long term, right? That's what we're talking about here. It's almost like when bonds invert, and we're learning a lot about that, right? We're hearing, I should say, a lot about, you know, an inverted bond index where it's, hey, it looks like I'm going to make more in a less risky vehicle because it has a shorter duration, right? So just things are backwards. When things are backwards from the normal risk-reward uh, uh, approach to investing, that's when you can start to see, uh, you know, a shift and a change, right? And for us, um, when we watch in the options market, like you said, um, when the VIX curve is inverted, meaning volatility is higher in the short term than farther out, uh, it just, it's one of those things that tells us that, hey, people are projecting longer term some stability, but in the short term, it could still get a little nasty, Right. So that's what you're really talking about. And then when it flips back, that's more of a sign to normalcy. You know, the other thing, too, is and, and I think we think about this in, in a couple of ways. There's a lot of people who, unfortunately, you and I are getting older, which means we've seen a lot more bear markets than a lot of participants in markets right now. It's just the way things go. Time decay sometimes works for you. Sometimes it works against you. But I remember, you know, the longer bear markets, for example, in, uh, you know, March of 2000 was the top in the, you know, the tech bubble. But it really was a two-year cycle. And I'm not saying it's going to be two years with this one. But bear markets sometimes take a long time. The one we had in March of 20 is very short. You had the snapback. But I, I also think that sometimes what people think they need to see and just because it's happened before doesn't mean it'll happen again. Jay, I mean, in the short term, I always I call it the cupcake index. And I like to see in short term when markets are really panicked and everyone's freaking out, that the local news station that people are watching you know, in the late morning and they're baking cupcakes, they have a, a picture of the Dow chart in the bottom right-hand corner. Like I always joke around with you when we see that and I say, oh yeah, the cupcake index is back. Because when, when people who don't follow markets start, so that, that sort of, we're not seeing right that. And I'm not sure we need to see that. And I'll just throw it to you, Jay. Like to me, the things I remember in, in uh, you know, early 2002 was people had apathy. Like they stopped looking at the statements. Same thing, you know, March of 09, like it, there were people who were saying things were going to get worse, but I think a lot of people had given up. They'd taken the pain. They couldn't take it anymore. I don't know. I mean, is a little bit of apathy 
come in now? Because this has been a very orderly but bear market, Jay. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of people that just are tired of looking at their statements, right? I think there's a lot of day traders that, you know, have been kind of, have realized that, hey, this isn't so easy, right? Markets don't go straight up all the time or you can't pick bottoms, right? That's hard to do. So I do think there's a, a quite a bit of apathy for, in the markets right now because everything is down, right? Bonds are down. Stocks are down. Gold is down, which is supposed to protect you, you know, theoretically in an inflation environment, right? So everything, it's just one of those years where, you know, it's like, oh, you know, it's like going to the dentist again because you're in stage one of getting a bridge done. Like you just don't want to do it anymore. So, you know, it's, it's certainly uh, creating a little bit of uh, apathy. I agree with that. I'll, I'll also say that the market has a tendency to frustrate the most people. Right. There's so when you absolutely know or you think you absolutely know what is going to happen in the market because it's common knowledge, the odds are that's actually not what is going to happen. Right. So my point there is if we're all waiting for the capitulation signal of, you know, a minus five percent day with a VIX popping over 40 and then the reversal to finish, you know, flat or up for the day with a nice hammer candlestick bar. Uh, that probably won't happen this time around because everybody is waiting for it, right? But if you understand the dynamics of what causes that, uh, then in that situation, you have to be able to look outside of what everybody else is looking for, right? And it won't, it, you know, the markets don't repeat themselves, but they certainly can rhyme. No, how's that thing go, right? History doesn't repeat itself, but it can rhyme. So that's Mark Twain, right? Something like that? Yeah, you know, I murdered it. Sorry, Mark. I know you're not listening but maybe from above. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, it's, it may not come exactly the way that it's come before, um, which is why, again, time in the market is going to be really difficult. Uh, and so, when, so back to the way we started this capitulation discussion, uh, when people are asking, what are you waiting to see? You know, I go back to the time, time is on our side here. If you have time, Markets have always rebounded, right? We're not picking individual stocks at Zega or you're not picking them at the broken pie chart, Derek, right? Generally speaking, we're talking about broad-based markets and uh, they generally come back. Historically, they always come back. I'm, I'm sure this one will eventually come back too. So if you have time, be in it. I actually love buying the market when you get discounts like this, but that's a whole, probably a whole different podcast, right? Jay, don't you think too, the, we, a movie you and I, I, I'll give it as a recommendation, but I have more recommendations later. Draft Day with Kevin Costner. I always kind of liked that movie. And there's a scene where, uh, I can't, why can't I remember the, the gentleman's name? Unfortunately, he's passed away now, but he was in the, uh, some of the Marvel movies. But he played a, a linebacker, and he was, he was a prospect. And there's this great scene, this interplay between the two characters, where he says... Uh, you know, don't watch me, watch me, then watch him after I sack him. And I think there's this thing too, is there's a lot of noise right now. Everyone's I trying think it to was make Chadwick predictions. Boseman, right? It was, it was the guy. Who's, yes, who, yes, who, yes, who, yes. Who yes. Black Panther, yeah. Right? Who, yeah. Who passed yeah. Last year. yeah. But it was a yeah, good right. scene. And watch what I did to him, right? Yeah. So much talk right now. So much chatter about what people think. And guess what? All, everyone's been wrong. I'm sorry, but everyone's been wrong. So I love the fact that you brought up not only the put buying, but then also we're looking at other things. Like don't don't listen to what people are predicting. Watch what people are doing. And I think what you'll see is there is some capitulation e stuff that we've seen. I have no idea if this is the bottom or not. You know, if we're going to see a new low, you could make a good argument that in June or July that was the bottom. We hear a lot of talk about oh, you know, when the market does this, it never does that. And it did. So I think in, in real bottoms, there is, it doesn't have to be a snapback. It, it could just be a basing where slowly people are taking more cash off the side. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of individual investors miss, you know, some of the, the best days, right? Yeah. And let's, you know, uh, when the, what the recovery could look like, I'll quote kind of a 2020, dialogue that was out there, right? Everyone talked about, is it a V bottom? Is it a U, U bottom? 
was it a K bottom, which whatever the heck that meant at the time, some up, some down. But right, we may not get the V bottom, right? We've been really conditioned that the market V's and bounces, and it might be more of a U, uh, which is like you said, a flattening, and then we get through this cycle and then heading back up afterwards, right? So um, we certainly haven't seen the W yet. Can you? Let's pick another letter. Can you pick another letter? But uh, uh, I, I, look, I'm with you, Derek. It may not be like the other recoveries have looked. We got very used to quick rebounds, right? So you had, um, you know, stuff that happened in, I'll go back to 2015 when that was pretty volatile, right? You had an August, September sell-off, you know, a little bounce followed through to February, and then we never looked back, and then the market ran after the 16 election. Then you had um, uh, a really low volatile year in 17, which nobody saw coming, right? Do you remember after the election, everybody pretty much guaranteed, well, once Trump's in office, things are going to be volatile. Turned out 2017 was the least volatile year in the history of tracking the VIX, right? So, okay, again, frustrating the most people. And then 18, you had a quick V bottom, actually had two V's, interesting, right? You had the volatility explosion in February, that reversed fast. Then you had, which that was also a perfect example of what capitulation could look like, but that was more of a VIX technical thing. Yeah, 2018, Q4 of 2018, that was a fast V bottom. Obviously, 2020 was a fast V bottom. So look, this one is clearly not fast. We're in month 10, right? We're almost through 10 months. We're through 10 months at this point by the time this podcast comes out. So it hasn't been a snap turn and you just may not get it. And I agree with you, Derek. It doesn't necessarily mean what's happened over the last you know, let's say seven or eight years on the turns of the market is what's going to happen this time. It just may not be the case. And that's okay because the market still eventually comes back. I do think there's a case too here. Uh, we, we've, to, we've touched on bonds before and, and the idea, you know, higher coming from such low rates, you had duration risk. I mean, the TLT, which is what, plus 20 year maturity on treasuries, I think even on a total on a total return basis, it's minus thirty five or thirty seven or got there. I don't know what it is today from from the top. You know, I I go back and it's sort of this case for equities. I feel like I'm quoting Professor Jeremy Siegel, but you know, stocks for the long run. And I just I was thinking about bonds. I mean, typically bonds over the long term, you get whatever their the starting yield to maturity is. Meaning, if you buy bonds and the yield to maturity is five over ten years. Historically, you should expect an annualized return of around 5%. Like, I, I think I like the idea here, and I don't know what's going to happen, but I like the idea of staying invested in markets. Of course, we hedge, uh, which which does you know, look to take away uh, some of the downside there. But I look, I'm just thinking about, you know, if you bought longer term bonds and you're down 35%, it would take you nine years at 5% a year to get back to break even. I mean, I, I still think there's this case of, you know, people trying to pick markets and stuff, but equities to me and hedged equities, the way we do it at, at Zega, still makes the most sense. And I, I mean, I think maybe we should just think about that a second. And then I want to get to sort of these, the idea of the markets bottom before everything else, Jay. Yeah, I, uh, I I'm, oh, yes, that's, that's a good point, Derek. Of course, you know, uh, you know, being invested in stocks, uh, for us is, is, is important in broad-based markets. Picking stocks is hard. We just do what, you know, usually beats the markets in general, beats most managers and use the S&P 500, generally speaking, right? Uh, if your risk tolerance was right, but then we hedge it, right? Taking some of that risk off. And so uh, all that is important for long-term investing. And, you know, if we're day trading, that's one thing, but as, uh, as an RAA, as a registered investment advisor, uh, that's not, you know, necessarily what we do. But I, I do think, you know, our background, Eric, is kind of traders, right? Coming from the trader side of the, the world and his options, guys, you can't help yourself but to look at the short-term movements. And so I think that's why it's a, we're a unique combination here. And I would say that, yeah, time in this market is going to be difficult. And so far, it's frustrated a lot of people. Like the bears this year have lost money. Why? Because this handful of 15% bear market rebounds Right where the market, you think it bottomed out and the market goes up 50%, you know, wiping out a lot of gains for even people that are bearish, right? So it's just, it's just a frustrating year for most investors. And guess what? From time to time, this is going to happen. Uh, the good news is it's not all the time, right? And so we will eventually get back to some regularity there. So if I could use that, Derek, as kind of a springboard into kind of a little bit about, you know, 
market timing and markets being a kind of forward looking vehicle. You mind if I jump into that? Let's roll. Yeah. All right. So, you know, I've always said the markets are a forward-looking vehicle. I've said it on this podcast multiple times. I've said it to a lot of investors and advisors that we speak to. And what, what does that mean? It means that the markets are going to jump the gun on the you know downside of things and the upside of things. Um, and so, you know, I've been, you know, seriously looking at this. And from a fundament, fundamental perspective, it's hard to justify why the market would turn around right now. You've got contracting earnings, maybe even negative earnings next quarter. Um, you take out energy and S&P earnings are negative for the year, right? We're going through earnings season right now. So earnings aren't great. You've got higher interest rates while well, you're fighting the Fed. That's always tough to do. Um, PE ratios are coming down. So you've not only have dropping of earnings, you also have a contracting of the ratio. So there's a lot of things here that would make it hard for you to get long here. And when I, you know, when Derek and I talk about you know, offline, what is what is the thing that can turn this market besides the Fed pivoting? Um, and I don't think we should expect that anytime soon. Uh, our answer comes to the, you know what, the f- market's usually ahead of when things are turning. And so, Derek, you put together a little bit of information here that I'm going to reference uh, real quick. But there are plenty of times in history where the market was in decline while earnings were still going up. But then once earnings and GDP and even payrolls were going down and they hadn't bottomed out yet, the market turned early. And so there is a distinction between the economy and the stock market. And it's always because the stock market is a forward-looking vehicle. They are obviously related, but there are plenty of times and, and a handful of examples here where you have contracting earnings, you have GDP going down, yet the market has already bottomed and made its turn on the way up. Um, to me, the most obvious one when I when I look at this, and I'll hand it to you in a minute, Derek, if you want to comment on some others, um, is uh, you know the stagflation era of the 1970s, because that kind of feels a little bit like what's going here today. Right, the market actually bottomed out well before earnings had turned, but while the earnings were on the way down in December '74 the market had already started its way back up, right? It had already started picking up and, and moving higher and in the face of declining earnings, right? So we always talk about earnings being one thing and interest rates being another thing. You know, when I look at that one, it's really it's really obvious. There's a good example in the Eisenhower years as well. But, you know, Derek, I'll, I'll pass it to you to, to kind of comment or and add a little more color there. Yeah, I like focusing on the stagflation era. You know, that's a good one. Had inflation interest rates rising from a base. And yeah, I mean, if we think about this and the scaling on, on this, I realize the audience, you know, can't see this, but yeah, you're right. I mean, December of 74 and it really wasn't until I'll call it, you know, May, April of 75 before GDP started to come around, you know, and there's, even if you look, I mean, I'll go back to 2008, 2009, you say, well, we didn't have raising, rising rates at that point. Um, not, not really. I mean, a little bit, but obviously they cut rates after that. But you think about the Mark Haynes bottom was was March, I think it was March 6th, 7th or 8th or 9th of 09. So let's just call it March of 09. I mean, pay, unemployment didn't bottom until March of 10, a year later. But the market had already risen off that bottom. Um, you know, so I, I think it's a great point. I mean, the market sort of is already, if we look at right now, we don't know what's going to happen, but if you want to play this out, you say, well, the market already came down vis-a-vis the multiple. They're already expecting earnings to, to be a little bit lower and earnings estimates have come down. But I think in, in the cases we look at, the market does bottom before unemployment, before GDP and before earnings bottom. The challenge for us is, well, not for us, because we we buy and we hedge, but for a lot of people trying to, you know, pick the the absolute thing is, it's like, okay, well, is this the bottom? Or are we going to have another bottom? And then, but I think in all these cases, I mean, it's like three, six, nine months ahead of time, right, Jay? 
Yeah, I mean, the market typically in these scenarios is going to jump the gun. And so, you know, the market is, I mean, it seems to be wildly accepted. I'm not sure if I accept it, but wildly accepted that we'll have, you know, a recession and we're not going to have a soft landing in 2023. Well, if that's the case, um, this is about the time that the market would turn and want to catch the rebound uh, off that recession. Right. And so. Uh, you know, it's just one of those things when you say, what is the catalyst that could actually turn this market? It's the post-recession. I know it's so hard to think about, you know, what comes two steps later, right? Everyone's right now concerned about Fed raising and then the, you know, pending recession, right? The real cutback in jobs and the cutback in GDP and those types of things. But after that, if you're not already thinking about after that, you'll find yourself behind the eight ball. You know, um, during 2020, uh, you know, the market pretty much got the decline in earnings almost exactly right, right? The market was down 35%. What was GDP down, Derek, That in that Q3? I, I know I'm putting you on the spot there, of Q3 in 2020. Oh, it was, well, annualized, it was close to uh, 30%, right? 20, 25% or so. I'd, I'd have to pull it up, but yeah. Yeah, and, and that was such a fast decline and such a fast rebound. But the market kind of nailed it, right? It's like, oh, the market went down 34%, peak to trough, 35%. And that was what GDP was. But you didn't see it till later. And I remember talking to clients in April, and the market had already started to turn, and clients were concerned, like, hey, I'm worried about you know Q3 earnings. Should we be getting conservative now? And my answer was, the market's already seen that, right? It's already priced it in. And we didn't know the bottom was in at the time. But the, the commentary that we made was, like, like, look, the market is already planning for somewhat of a decline in the next few quarters that's been built in and that's been priced in. And you could argue that that is the case now, that the market, what was the dead peak to trough on this one? Did we, did we pass 25%? I think intraday. Around there, yeah, a little bit yeah, more. 27 yeah. intraday, right? Um, so, okay, so if we're going to have you know a decline in GDP, a decline in earnings, there's something to be said for the fact that the market has already priced that in, right? It just priced it in early, and it means it could have the rebound early as well. And I don't, again, not saying that bottom is in, right? We could have you know worse scenarios. The Fed could go to 6%. I mean, I could think of other things that could cause this to not be the bottom. But for what the market is planning based on what has happened so far, you could say the market is six months ahead of wherever the turn may be in the economy. That's standard stuff. There's a case, too, that markets and information is faster now. I mean, back in 1994, 95. And so that's, that's sort of a bull case. 94 into 95, the Fed was raising, of course, interest rates. It wasn't from as low of a base. Uh, but earnings did not decline year over year. In fact, they were quite good in 1994. We had a midterm election in 94, and the Fed stopped raising rates in early 95. And from you know my 90, spring of 95 until March of 2000, I mean, the market was just a, a rocket. We'll see if that happens this time. But that's an interesting corollary. But I, I do think, you know, I look at back then, and I was in the markets during that time. We had no GDP now, now cast. We had no, I mean, none of that stuff. I mean, I, I would have had to go walk over to the Federal Reserve, knock on the door and say, hey, by the way, do you have any like papers or data you can hand me? There was nothing. There was no internet back then. So in some ways, I think you could say, you know, maybe the market this time, it knows all this and is discounting all this future information. And they've done it in such a way that, uh, they may be, yeah, I mean, they may be ahead of things. I still, like you, am not convinced we're going to have a recession. And, the, and it's just, it's a pure, it's not even an academic thing, Jay. It's just when everyone says something's going to happen in the markets, everyone is not usually correct. It's just the case. Yeah, it's just the case. Most people that are right, that's absolutely. By the way, it could be the case that you and I are wrong, even because we agree, right? But uh, <laughs> that could be. So, Derek, you mentioned the the what happened in '94, right? What was the crisis that happened around that time? Oh yeah, well we had uh, uh, Orange County went bankrupt. Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right the the savings and loan, right? The SNL crisis, right? Of uh, in the '90s, is that the that's yeah. kind of what happened during that time period, right? 
So uh, yeah, the SNL, that's an interesting, by the way, I, I think I've told my Charles Keating story before I've met him and talked to him at length. Uh, God, it was probably 15 years ago, but, um, yeah, so that was actually a little bit before then. The thing in Orange County was Orange County apparently was selling short term. They were using, I think, some swaps or some derivatives. They were selling short term bonds to buy long term bonds and collecting the yield differential. And when short term rates spiked, all of a sudden, you know, it doesn't work out so well and they went bankrupt. But the savings alone, you know, that was a little bit before then. But that period as well. You know, we had the savings and loan era. I mean, I think it was late 1990 when the markets bottomed. I, I don't think earnings bottomed until January, February of 92. I mean, that's that's sort of a long time, right? Yeah, no, for sure, right? And that's Again, that's another example of where, you know, the market bottomed well in advance of, uh, you know, kind of had a forward-looking view of the actual, whatever the economic crisis was. By the way, uh, would you always reference the savings and loan uh, crisis as SNL? Just for the heck of it, I Googled who was the cast in, uh, of SNL Saturday Night Live in 1990. And it was a great cast. Chris Farley, Chris Rock, Adam Sandler, David Spade. Like that was some, Those were some good years, those early 90s of SNL. Sorry to take us on a side uh, uh, track there, but uh, good quality. That, that was a stellar year. Most of those people became... I mean, all movie people as well. And yeah, I don't watch SNL anymore. I don't remember when I stopped watching it. Um, you know, I'm sort of anchored in the, you know, very 80s and 90s for, for SNL, but... You're still in the Eddie Murphy years? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, well, Eddie Murphy, I mean, but no, all the people, you know, Phil Hartman, David, uh, uh, what, the church lady guy, what was, what was his name? Dana Carvey. Yeah, yep. Yep. Dana Carvey, all those guys. Um, all right. So I think the thing to take away from this is we don't know anything. We'll know, we'll know we know. But no, seriously, like I, I, I just feel like sometimes people look at the, the markets and they look at the economy and there's this mismatch in time. And I think what you've pointed out and, and we've gone through today is like they don't all bottom at the same time. And even if we get a recession, if it's not a mild recession, I mean, you could sort of make the case that the market, market bottomed already because it knew it was coming. The market's really smart, smarter than all of us. A lot of people say the bond markets and the currency markets are smarter than the, the equity markets. So I don't know. And by the way, the, you know, the dollar also, it, it has come off its highs. I personally believe that the dollar has to come back down before you know things can can really turn around um, maybe we've seen that I mean the Japanese yen seems to be continuing there there's some some things around uh, JGBs Japan uh, you know Bank of Japan and things like that but yeah I don't know Jay I mean I, I think it's what I look for too just on a, an anecdotal basis too I think apathy is a strong sign of the bottom and the fact that we don't have VIX that's way through the roof, the fact that people have, I mean, they bought all this, these, uh, this protection. I'm just saying, I mean, I think there's a little bit of apathy and a little bit of acceptance that's come in from this market. I don't see panic right now, Jay. Uh, yep, panic. Uh, we really haven't had many days where there's real panic in the market, I would agree with you. And so you're saying apathy and cupcakes, right? Those are your unofficial uh, uh, sentiment. Uh, Cup? Uh, oh, cupcakes point. is, yeah, we're past the cupcakes. They're, they're not yeah. showing the Dow Jones chart well, on. They're, the, they're on even the done. Place. We've gone past cupcakes. Okay. That's yeah. what I'm saying. We're past that phase. We're in the, all right, it is what it is. I mean, here's the thing too. It's, I mean, markets were up so much last couple of years as well. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, this is not an unhealthy retracement, right? The, the S&P pretty much tripled in, right, 19, 20, 21, right? Those years, the S&P pretty much had a, sorry, had a double. I said triple, but those three years, the market had a double. That's pretty, it's pretty strong growth. I know we all get used to that. Um, it's not, you know, unheard of to have a 25% pullback after that kind of a run. Uh, something's got ahead of themselves. And now the Fed is just trying to bring it back in. Um, I will say, Jay, too, you know, the fact that, 
what was it, uh, over a week ago, Microsoft comes out with earnings. I think they they were lower year over year. I think they missed on the bottom line, met or exceeded on the top line. I can't remember. I think their guidance was a little bit soft. And and they said they, they do a currency adjustment in their uh, their earnings deck that I think currencies cost them, depending on GAAP or non-GAAP, you know, qu- quite a bit there uh, because they're selling around the world. And obviously the revenue goes down in US dollars when, when the dollar gets strong. But I think if I look at something, that was an interesting day because here Microsoft, I mean, what was it down? 6% at one point? Seven, uh, seven and a half that day. I remember seeing seven and a half at the open. And then the market opened pretty strong. I mean, I think uh, they were saying on CNBC, it cost the Dow about 100 points because Microsoft is in the Dow. But to me, that felt a little interesting just because I feel like back in June or September or even early October, if that happens, the whole market's down, you know, four or five percent that day. But we didn't see it. Right. The same day, or I'd say the night before that same day, Google had announced earnings and they were disappointed as well. And so, and the market was kind of accepting of it, right? I think you're right uh, as to what happened on that day because it was, uh, hey, things are from the big boys are bad, but okay, we could still we could still rally in the face of it, right? So, yeah, like you're right, Derek. It's it's um, the the currency thing is interesting, but to the point of there's a lot baked in already uh, to this in the decline, right? That uh, that we saw. Maybe it's all in there. Maybe a lot of it is in there, right? If common knowledge is uh, we're going to have a recession, why would that not already be priced into the market? And I guess you would say, let's say the dollar, I mean, for the dollar to stop going up on a relative basis, our Fed has to stop raising as aggressively as as the rest of the world. I mean, that's really, currencies have a lot to do with interest rates and, and things like that. And you have the carriage rates, which are too complex to really get into. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that was an interesting day. And even though the markets, I think intraday from memory, you know, they 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 were up and then they they sort of gave back some, but it wasn't awful. So we'll see. All right, Jay, let's um so we don't know anything, but we'll know the bottom when it comes in. But I think that's it's just good to talk through a little bit of what we think about capitulation and volatility. Um, do you have any uh I have a, a recommendation though, Jay, a really strong one, I think. A strong recommendation, huh? Strong, like Gosh. pounding the table. So yeah, randomly, right. let's hear it. Yeah, I was. I rewatched the last episode of Succession from season three, and I was in the HBO Max, and I caught they they have a trailer for season four that just landed. It's coming back spring of twenty three. Spring twenty twenty three Succession. Wait, that was, so is the trailer your your strong recommendation? Yes. Well, it's twofold. Yes, if you haven't watched Succession, I mean, why the heck not? Go back and do that. It's probably one of the best shows on TV in the past, you know, decade. But yeah, the the, the for those that have, uh, why it's the best forty seconds you'll watch today. How's that, Jay? <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I did see when that trailer came out, and I did think of you. I know you're such a big fan, as am I, of that uh, of that show. Uh, anything yeah, no, else? No spoilers. Did? Okay, there you go. Spoilers. Well, I was going to say the New York Giants. I'd advise everyone to watch them. Six and one, clearly Super Bowl favorites at this point. Yeah, right. yeah. Spoken like two true Giant fans, right? We know what can happen there. Um, I, yeah, like I was thinking about what to talk about from a you know a show recommendation or a movie recommendation this week. I really don't have anything new. I'm just still kind of going through uh, the series that are out there. I think I did successfully bash the uh, Cobra Kai Karate Kid show. Again, terrible, terrible season. Almost almost laughable watching it. Um, but, uh, you know, if I had to go back and give another good one, the one I want to watch again is The Bear uh, on, on Hulu. When is that coming back? Well, I don't know. They, it's been, re- you know, they'll have another season. Uh, but I feel like, and it was a quick watch, right? 30-minute episodes. It was quick to get through it. I feel like I've got to get through that one again. Of course, I'm watching House of the Dragon. We mentioned that the last couple of times. Um, that is uh, now over. So it was okay. Not as good as uh, first season of Game of Thrones, of course. I'm not sure if anything will ever be that good. But, uh, you know, fine. I think it broke some records on HBO, right? So uh, I guess well-received, generally speaking. 
I always go back to, so there was something that just came out. I think it was a TV show or a series and they're showing it in the movie theater. And I remember back when, and by the way, I was really late to Game of Thrones. I think seven seasons had passed and I'm like, yeah, I think I'll give it a shot. And I blew through, you know, seven seasons, watched the eighth. I was like, there was that, that episode was the longest night where they have the big battle. I was like, man, that would have been so good to see in the theater, you know, with the Dolby sound. And um, I don't know why they don't do that. Maybe if Amazon ever buys theaters, they'll, they'll, they'll have shows on like that. But um, I do have something um, I'll probably listen to, and it's an interesting thing. So Bono from U2 is coming out with a, a biography. And I caught a, a snippet of the audiobook. And they really produce, I guess this is the new thing with audiobooks. They're going to produce it almost, you know, with sound effects and background stuff. And it's much more than just a book. So that's coming November 1st. That will be out, uh, I guess, in a few days once this drops. No, maybe, no, it's probably already out. Yeah. So I, that's, I'll, I'll probably check that out, Jay. I don't know if you do audiobooks or not, but this one seems kind of interesting. I, I don't, but uh, no, no, I know uh, my son does. So it's uh, maybe he'd find it interesting if he even knows who Bono is. I think he knows who you two is. I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, they, <laughs> it's funny. I was, I was telling somebody about, I was talking about Live Aid. I don't know how many, a couple weeks ago and how that really, you know, it was them and Queen that really stole the show. And I realized that was 1985 and pe- people, not a lot of people <laughs> were alive at this point when that happened. Uh, yeah. I, I love it. How the, the, you know, the, the 1900s is being referred to as those years and it makes you feel really old when it's a different century. Right. So, yeah. By the way, uh, my bearishness on audiobooks is that I like to sometimes listen to it before I go to sleep. And if I fall asleep, the thing just keeps going. I have no idea where I am. So <laughs> Are you as bearish on audiobooks as you are on electric vehicles? All right. So electric vehicles to me, <laughs> I, don't, I don't see the mass adoption. So the reason why I don't see the mass adoption is not everybody lives in a house. And wait, to, if this is going to be your only car and it's the winter and you forget to plug it in, you got to come out and do the snow or you get, I don't know. I, there might be something that we don't even know yet that's coming. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm bearish EVs. I have no idea what the stocks are going to do, and I'm probably completely wrong on this. Oh, it's not a stock call. It's just, you know, the, the, listen, I love teasing you because you're the only person I know that, don't th- that doesn't think EVs are a good idea, whether they're hard to make work or not. I would, there's plenty of people that think that, but uh, you crack me up about that one. So I was setting you up a little bit there. So yeah. apologize. Now, hybrids you, maybe uh, uh, annoy ninety percent of your audience. Yeah, well, I mean hybrids. I think are interesting to have the choice, right? I mean, it's. I just, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm with you on it not being your one and only car, right? But most families have more than one car, right? So, but what do people live in? Live in apartments? I mean, where are they going to have? Is every carport going to have a, a charging thing? Why? Why is there gas in their in their apartments now? Like they, they got to go to a station fill up. I mean, this isn't a hard concept. There's but how long does it take to fill up? Isn't it like a half hour to to not fill up but to charge? Right. I mean, it depends. Right. It could be, but like you're probably not running your battery down to zero. Right. So it's fine. It all depends on that. It's it's not that bad. It really isn't. And you know, I know apartment complexes that let you run. Your 220 line to your parking spot. Heck, uh, someone, uh, one of our Zega employees is a president of his condo association. His condo, uh, you know, neighbors run 220 down to their parking spot. It's fine. It's fine. It's so much more convenient just charging at your house, not worrying if you're going to run out of gas or that you have to add time to go to a gas station. Look, I'll just say I had a, I cut my home line and had a cell phone only back in probably 1998. People thought I was crazy. I ordered a book from Amazon really early and people were like, I don't understand it. I took an Uber early and people were like, yeah, but there's cabs out here. I'm like, no, no. I mean, I, I was sort of early on an adopter on a lot of these things. I wasn't on, on EVs for, so I, I'm not saying I'm a savant when it comes to, to picking these, certainly not by any stretch. I just, 
I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Well, I'll and take I'm the other side of wrong. that bet whenever you come up with a bet, right? You want to pick we up. Gotta do, we got to do like a, in five rate. years from now, what will be the percent adoption in the U.S.? I think that's what you got to come up with. We'll have Five a, years from now, event adoption. Yeah. All right, listen, I'll be, I'll even, I'll make it easy for you. I'll say 25% less, adoption. New cars sold after, in five years, 25% of EVs. I'll make this an easy bet for you. Oh, I was going to say less than 50. Uh, now I got to think about it a little bit. I mean, fi- I mean, give me a break 50. I'm not saying the world's not changing, but you know, <laughs> I, I mean, it's going to get there by legal reasons or not. We don't even have to go down, you know, the legislation. To tell you, by the way, yeah, but to tell you how an early adopter I was, do you remember the company Blue Nile with where they yes. sold? Uh, yes. So I bought my wife's uh, engagement ring on there and people thought I was nuts. I go on there. It was the best experience because I went into a store and I was kind of, you know, I was dressed in workout stuff and then it really helped me and stuff. So I learned about Blue Nile. I go on there and the only thing that was tough and, and you know, I'm an idiot. They're like, oh, you need the, the size. So I printed out the, they had this, um, this ruler thing, but you would print it out and you would cut it. And so you're supposed to wrap it around a finger. Well, I had, I had to uh, wait till, uh, you know, she was asleep. And I'm wrapping around this ruler on her finger to size it. And I was hoping she wouldn't, you know what I mean? So that's, and people are like, you're an idiot. They're going to ship this ring to you. And anyway, so I was a really early adopter. Shout out. I don't even know if Blue Nile's still around. Yeah, it is. And uh, uh, so let me get this straight. You're an early adopter of technology, but you had to use, you know, scissors and masking tape with a printout. Got it. Okay. That sounds. Well, how else would you measure somebody's finger? You don't know. I guess you didn't know. You have to ask those questions ahead of time. You, you, you know, you work that in. It was on Blue Nile's site. It said, hey, here's a sizing thing. Listen, in all fairness, I almost forced you to get engaged earlier in a piano bar. <laughs> you have to talk me out of it. That's a whole different ball of ice. I think right, we should let people go on that note. All right. So uh, there you go, folks. This is episode 193. Of course, uh, reach out to me, Derek.more at ZegaFinancial.com, D-E-R-E-K dot M-O-O-R-E at Z is in Zebra, E is in Eddie, G is in George, A is in Apple. Financial is up to you to spell correctly. Uh, Jay, we will come back after the election and we'll tell everybody more things we have no idea are going to happen and things we do. More talk about things we don't know. I love it. (laughs) Have a good weekend, everyone. See you. Bye.